Hi, everybody. I'm Eli Sussman for Heritage Radio Network on Tour. We're broadcasting live from the Le Creuset podcast studio at Charleston Wine and Food. Go to heritageradionetwork.org forward slash Charleston 2019 to see our full interview schedule. And, of course, thank you so much to Le Creuset and the Julia Child Foundation for making Heritage Radio Network on Tour at Charleston Wine and Food possible. Everyone, if you're just tuning in right now, this is a special condensed version of the line. I've got Bob Cook sitting with me. Bob, welcome. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And uh, if you've never heard the line before, what I love to do is talk about the trajectory of someone's career, where they grew up, where they started cooking, uh, what was in the middle job-wise, culinary school-wise, and where they are now. So, uh, Bob, we have sort of a a lightning round today. We're going to try to condense your entire life into about 25 minutes. It should be no problem. Like you, I'm a Michigan man, so that's kind of awesome. Uh, You mentioned that you were born in Flint. Yep. Uh, For those people listening that don't know, where is Flint geographically? You might as well just hold up. Even though it's radio, you can hold up your hand. Imagine your hand. uh, It's about 60 miles north of Detroit, um, very driven and built by industry. Like, you know, obviously, you know, like most of Michigan. Um, And we were, you know, I was born in the early 80s, and by the time I was nine or ten years old everything was kind of basically gone to hell and all yeah. the shops were shutting down so we decided to move uh, up to northern Michigan which is more of like a tourist driven area um, lots more golf uh, Michigan people a lot of people don't know but Michigan's really known for a golf a lot of golf courses yeah um, so a lot of people work there's nice restaurants and a lot of golf courses up there so I worked uh, in Harbor Springs Michigan which is a very affluent uh, on the lake on Lake Michigan part and uh at a golf course up there for the beginning, you know, 10, 12 years of my career. They made me sous chef there when I was like 17 or something like that. I was too young. I probably shouldn't have been knowing now, looking back on it, it was, I was very, I was that's, very stupid. It's pretty but, wild to be the sous chef of somewhere when you're 17. Yeah. It's, it's a huge amount of responsibility and also just the hours are really long for a 17 year old to kind of dig in and, and sure. grind in and do that type of work. So that was at a, uh, a country club, right? Yeah. In Not a Harvest private Springs. club, but it was a, 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 a golf, golf club. club. Yep, exactly. And so what is that like being a 17 year old? Were you in school? Did you drop out? Like, no, how were you this managing after that? high school. Okay. So basically just like the second we were done with high school, just kind of just went and, uh, it was, you know, I guess I didn't really think about it. You know, back home, it's a lot of it's seasonal. So a lot of people work seasonal jobs and you just work a ton of hours in the summer and in the fall, a little bit in the spring. And then after, you know, in the winter, you're off all winter time, you know, off, you're collecting unemployment and stuff like that. So I guess it was just something we didn't really think about, or maybe I didn't think about, um, you know, working the, 14 hours The Michigan a day. term is kind of we're going up north and that actually okay, yeah. applies to anywhere where you're in, if you're in Detroit and you drive anywhere even to yep. the western side of the yep. state it's up north it's yeah. up north it's right? anywhere that's it's just, not Detroit Flint yeah, right you're exactly. you're outside of the city and you're up north and it's actually a kind of a crazy juxtaposition that you grew up in Flint which uh, has had so much trouble yeah. for, for a while but as of late has been in the news obviously yeah. for for the significant water issues that they've had but it's such yeah. a strong juxtaposition of Flint uh, to Harbor Springs. Yeah. Uh, was that complete a, opposite. Was that a really weird transition for your family, or were you kind of too young to really notice? My I, my grandparents had moved up there, and I we'd had family moving up, like, you know, every few years someone else would move up for a while. So we'd, we'd been visiting up there for quite some time, you know, basically my whole life. Yeah. So when we moved up there, it was something we were familiar with, and it was a big change as a kid to move from the city to the country, but it was an area of town that we were very used to, so it was 
And actually, I mean, this is only my second time in Charleston, so I've been here about a combined four or five days, but mm-hmm. Harbor Springs actually reminds a like me this, a lot right? of Charleston, yeah. right? Like, so there after are a lot I, of crossovers. It's, it's by it, the water. Yeah, it fits into my story, my career, this, this story very well. I When I finally moved from Harbor Springs, I moved to St. Louis. Okay. Uh, St. Louis, Missouri. And I loved St. Louis. It was a great town. The food was really starting to come around. It's really great now. Um, but I wasn't all I was doing was working and going and getting drunk. You know, there wasn't a lot, a lot that I had else to do. It was about an hour drive to go like sit on a river bend if you wanted to, if you could fish. You know, that was always a really big part of my life was getting out fishing, you know, going to like on the water. Mm-hmm. So when, um, when, when my time was up in St. Louis, I was looking for somewhere else to go and thought about San Diego because we, you know, we'd been there. It was beautiful on the ocean. Thought about, uh, I had a friend in Davidson. Uh, I'm like Norman, mm-hmm. and he wanted me to move there, and I went and checked it out, and it was very much like a, a Michigan lake town, and uh, this is before, there, was, there wasn't there was a lot of food happening there, there's definitely some cool stuff going on now, but uh, I was like, we stopped, and I said, we're going to drive in Charleston for a day, see what happens, and like the second I pulled in town, I was like, holy shit, man, this place is cool. You were and, hooked. And I was, there was just no saying no, I mean, we I went, found a job, uh, unfortunately apologized that I couldn't come in stage, and I just... Said, so, you know, if you can keep this job open for me till I move, you know, till then, I'm, I was like, I swear to God, I'll make it worth it to you. So I ended up working um, at Cyprus. This is, I guess, 12 years ago now mm-hmm. that I moved here, and uh, with Craig Deal, who is actually now up in Charlotte on, and uh, on Lake Norman, which is kind of ironic. Uh, I worked with him for, I don't know, I guess, 10 years uh, at Cyprus. We ended up opening another restaurant, Artisan Meat Share, which is a little sandwich shop that kind of was spawned out of the charcuterie program that we were doing at Cyprus. Um, that was that stuck around about three years. They decided to close Cyprus, which was a good financial decision. It was, it was kind of, sort of heartbreaking for a lot of people. And um, I decided to move on to Edmonds Oast, where I'm at now. The, the crazy thing about a 10-year duration anywhere in yeah. anywhere in the United States is that it's, it's almost unheard of. Really, yeah. putting in two, three years at a restaurant means that you've really, you've kind of yeah. wrung everything out of that cook <laughs> after about a three year period. And these days to get someone to stay for a year, people just, they like, a year's to, a great they, commitment they like to bop around. They want, yeah. they say, I've quote unquote, I've learned everything I can yeah. from this job. I've heard that I'm curious, up. what kept you at Cyprus for 10 years? Was it were you learning? Was it the environment? Was it uh, how you, how you rose in the organization? Yeah. Like, I've always been, I, I've, I've never been a like a bop around person. Yeah, I just like to you know I like to get in somewhere, kind of establish myself. And honestly, working with Craig was you know we we learned so much from each other. You know, it, we started the charcuterie program together. That blossomed into something like huge. Yeah, uh, we started doing a CSA called Artisan Meat Share. I don't know, probably about eight years ago, we would uh, do pickups for that. Like a, basically, it was out the side door. It's kind of like a CSA you signed up for, and you got a meat bag quarterly. We would do specials, and then the response for that was so great. We decided to open a restaurant, sort of based on that exact same premise. Yeah. Buy retail meats, sandwiches. That got a huge response, and uh, yeah, I mean, we were just we were just always evolving, always growing, and it was always fun. You know, and I learned I learned something from all situations. So. I've worked for bad chefs, and I've learned as much from bad chefs as I have from good chefs. You know, you learn learning what Sometimes not to do. That's the that's the better position. Exactly. Early, I, early I, on to learn. You're absolutely right. Learning what not to do is almost more valuable than like learning what to do. Sometimes in certain situations. Yeah, it's it's 
the the mistakes that get made during a kitchen career can oh, be yeah. the biggest takeaways because those are the thing that you think about every single day that I'll yep. never do that again. I don't want to do that again. Yeah. Yeah, you got that. <laughs> I really looked like an asshole when I did yep. that that one time. Everyone made fun of me and I ruined service, so yep. I'm not going to do that again. But uh, the, the heckling lasted for a week, and yeah. I don't want to ever be that guy. Uh, so Edmonds Oast, uh, you joined up with them in 2017. Yep. Uh, what's very cool is that at my restaurant in Brooklyn right now, in the cold case, we have beer. Awesome. Edmonds Oats. So yeah. That's, that was a fun connection when I saw that, cool. um, when I was reading up on you. Uh, tell me a little bit about the, the vibe there. What kind of food do you put out? Does it all pair specifically with their beer? Like, how, how much are you drinking the beer and thinking of a dish, or are you working in a, another direction? Man, it's, I overuse the word dynamic. Uh, a lot with our just explaining a lot of what we do every day <clears throat> and everywhere from our all of our beverage programs to areas of our restaurant where you can eat so I think I the, my best explanation is we're a company that surrounds itself with good people they and they'll spend money or do whatever they have to do to get like the best of the best and from our our um, Cicerone, Brandon Plyler, to our bar manager, Jace McConnell, our wine director, Sarah O'Kelly, our brewer, Cameron Reed. Everyone is like the best in their game. And what I try to do is just try to hang out, try to hang with those guys. So I want to make, you know, I want to do whatever I can do to make their product the best, like showcase their product as well, the best it can possibly be. And I think we really push each other a lot. You know, it's it's a very friendly environment. We all we all love each other for sure. But um, you really got to be on your game to keep up with, you know, guys like Jace and Brandon and Sarah and Cameron. That's so cool it's, that it's a big team that you can push each other yeah. to uh, both through collaboration and also through sort of For like, sure. you know, fun competition yeah, because it can, being a chef can be a very solitary, lonely yeah. pursuit. Especially and I'm when honestly like, I, I, if, if, if I had my druthers, I would love that solitary. You know, I, I'm, I'm very much an introvert that is mm-hmm. like trying to be an extrovert. So to try to keep up with those guys, it's 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 fun and it's it can be I don't know it's not frustrating but sometimes you're like, man, would you guys just slow down for a second so I can catch up a little bit? <laughs> it actually physically forces you out of your, your <laughs> yeah. comfort zone. Um, it, I want to hear about burnt and salty. Yeah, which let's sounds talk about really awesome. cool. So it's a collection of Korean mustards, uh, and basically, are you doing this? outside of Edmonds O's? Is yep. it in collaboration with anyone else? Your own company? Nope, it's, it's, How are you doing it's, it? It's uh, me and my, my girlfriend, Chris. We started it uh, four years ago. Um, we started the LLC. We'd been making Korean, Korean mustard um, and sell, like using it in, in the restaurant at Cypress for quite a few years. And people would always say, you know, you should bottle this, you should bottle this. And the last thing I wanted to do was I'd have, I'd, the last thing I wanted to have any time for was one more thing. It's back when you thought you were busy and you know and you look back on those days and you're like man I had had all the time in the world so uh, we started selling at AMS just in court containers and um, it was selling really well and finally one day someone was uh, you know probably the thousandth person said you should bottle this and I was like put a label on it yeah I was like you know what man let's see what this is gonna take so Chris was actually deployed she's a senior chief in the Navy and uh, she was deployed to Kuwait I believe at the time maybe Afghanistan and uh, when she came back, I was like, hey, what do you think about about doing this? Like, put it in a bottle, see what happens. And she was like, well, I don't know shit about it. I said, I don't know shit about it. I make the stuff. That's about all I know. Uh, we started up, and we just we did it all ourselves. We've had some really great mentors on the way, um, the guys from Red Clay Hot Sauce, 
Um, so are you still hand filling we bottles? Still, uh, we still make every single bit of it ourselves. Wow. Which, um, you know, I'd love to be selling so much that we can't do it anymore. But yeah, sure. we still make, a, we use a, it's a kitchen that's a community kitchen funded by a, a county, two counties over, mm-hmm. Colton County. Um, so it's a really cool thing to do for their community. It's sort of a smaller, sleepier town. It's bringing a lot of people, like, you know, I spend money when I'm there. So it's bringing money to their community, which works out really well. They have the whole processing facility there. So we just kind of, you know, just did it a thing at a time. We started with a graphic designer and got a label. And Of, of course, you know, chefs have so much free time. So adding a yeah. side hustle that yeah, yeah. a secondary business to your plate is just... Listen, I wish I could claim more responsibility for all that time. Chris definitely... She's the one that puts all the time in. I just kind of come up with the recipes and act like I know what I'm talking about. And so it's cool because for you, it's just it's another way to uh, showcase what you're interested in yeah. food. Maybe something that doesn't 100% either fit into the restaurant or it's just a, a different project yeah. that you can do it with someone else. So uh, do you do you think that you might have any plans down the line to? Are you dreaming of co-packer and seeing this on shelves all across to. the yeah. United I mean, States? We, the, the reason we decided we wanted to do it wasn't to make money or to like have something else to do. is because we believed in the product so much mm-hmm. that we just wanted other people to be able to try it and take it home and have it in their homes and like get out of town where, you know, into different towns where maybe it's Charlotte or Brooklyn or something like that. Where it's an amazing product, and it's, I'm a very humble person. So for me to say that, it's it's hard for me to say it. But we just we believe in the, these products so much. We're like other people have to try these. That's so good, and there's nothing else like it on the, the Korean mustard. There's nothing else like the Korean mustard on the like that we know of at all. So we're like it's kind of a dis, you know we just wanted to do it as a service to get it out to other people. One and, of the things that I've really immediately was apparent when I've come to Charl came to Charleston last year and again this year is just the general camaraderie between restaurants. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a city that has a huge amount of quality food at different price points and different yeah. styles. Feels very tight knit. Feels yeah. like everyone really is super into what everyone else is doing yep. and as a whole just wants to go to bat for Charleston. Yep, exactly. Um, why do you think that is? Is that a, is that a southern thing? Man, it's just thing? a special thing. I don't know. I was thinking about it the other day. Someone asked me what my inspiration was. Like, who who was my biggest inspiration? And honestly, it's it is Charleston. You know, it's just the town. It's the people. Like, look at all these people that are you know here doing. They're so happy, and every, you know everyone loves food and is so supportive. All the chefs, all the patrons, all that you know, everyone. It's just such an amazing town to be a chef in. And I don't. I, I wish I could put my finger on why it's like that, but I don't want to. Maybe I don't want to find out, and I don't want to ruin anything. It's 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 really amazing. Uh, the whole team at Edmonds Oast, y- 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 you're very engaged in the community. There's uh, yeah, it's a, it's really important for us. There's a bunch of causes that you're involved in. Can you speak to one of them and maybe uh, how the the team interacts with that yeah. charity and what type of work you're doing on sure. the ground? We do so. We do a lot of work for um, Feed the Need, which is um, what we do is quarter week quarterly we'll go and cook for uh some like um homeless shelters where we show up and do a lunch for them or do a dinner for them it'll be like uh, three to four hundred people that's one thing that we're, we're very you know very passionate about at the restaurant is making sure that because we're in sort of a an area of town that's it's getting developed now but when we put our restaurant up there it was definitely underdeveloped and it was there was a lot of a little more it was not like tell the broad so we're very passionate about Feed the Need. Um, we're also very passionate about Ben's Friends. We make a lot of money for 
uh, we're sorry, we donate a lot of money for Ben's Friends, which is a um, support group for food and beverage professionals, or not even professionals necessarily. If you're in food and beverage and you have any sort of addiction, drugs, alcohol, whatever, mm-hmm. it's, they have meetings and it's very supportive. We want to uh, make sure that we take care of our own because, you know, that that's very, very important to us. So yeah. it's, it's a cause that we're always that's for. that's for sure been something that's been hiding in the shadows of the F&B world yeah. for a long time. Yeah. And until recently, it was, uh, you know, you had to drink kind of yeah. to fit in. Or at least there was the there was the thought that at the at the end of the night, if you weren't going to go, go out with everybody, beers, you yeah. weren't maybe part of the crew. You right. weren't as tight. Yep. And now there's there's been a shift and people are having uh, sober staff parties. They're yep. having support groups within restaurants, which is uh, hopefully a positive shift for the future of. You know, I love it. I yeah. think it's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. I still love going out and having a couple of beers with the sure, guys. But same. I, I think the the direction that the the community, the 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 overall demeanor of kitchens nowadays is starting to transform a little bit. Mm-hmm. I think it's super cool. I want to be. I want to do everything I can to make sure it's a it's a it's a respected job. You know, like cooking in a kitchen is it's something you can respect. It's not something you you know need to get drunk every day to do. It's you know it's some it's another one of our passions to make sure that that we. Our, our employees, number one, slash all the employee, all cooks, F&B members in Charleston. It's, something, it's a priority of us that we want to make sure that we can take care of somehow. We're actually starting a uh, Edmund Zost foundation, basically, to be able to, almost like a slush fund, to be able to take care of people like if, uh, you know, someone that may not even work at our restaurant in our group gets in a car accident yeah. gets sick and can't pay their bills that we can help out. So that's amazing. sort of a slush fund thing. That, that That's down the road. That's a sort of a maybe a five-year plan mm-hmm. that we want to have that, but we're working on it. So it's, that's another big passion of ours. I want to ask you about dish construction uh, from a, a, also from a sort of standpoint of, of how I approach dish construction being inside of a brewery. So oh, yeah. uh, my brother and I operate a kiosk inside of a brewery. So oh, we cool. also do food at a beer awesome. spot. So yeah, yeah. I'm really interested about um, if you could walk the listeners through maybe a specific dish that you're really excited about that cool. you do right now that yeah. you think works well with an awesome beer that you're putting out. So yeah. if you could say what the beer is and then say what the components of the dish are. Okay, cool. Um, let's see so we have a beer on right now that's a it's a gris set which is like a low abv saison that well i say we but at the brewery they they have slightly soured so it's a slightly sour grisette it's really cool it's called like a cult leader's headdress I'll, our brewer cameron's a nerd so it's all some sort of like skyrim or dungeons and dragons reference which i think is super cool but um, when we kind of go into a dish, what I like to think about is, and I listen to all my guys. I have some amazing cooks that, you know, if they want to interject stuff or have an idea, I like to, like, definitely nurture that. But um, what I kind of think to myself when I go into a dish is, like, I want to focus on one or two flavors, like main flavors of a dish. And I want, I'd like to have a little bit of an element of surprise in there. I like to make, like, food exciting. You know, I like, it, I like to have, like, an element of excitement in there, too. So... Something that we do a lot is like a real simple chicken dish that we fry the chicken, like um, basically a sort of a pulverized chicken into a sort of a crispy pancake, serve it with some really nice Carolina gold rice, uh, spicy green curry, and then uh, sprinkle macroot lime leaf on top of that whole thing. So it's a really cool, a really cool flavor combination of simple two or three flavors. And the macroot lime is nice because it's a, it's a flavor that's people get instantly when they try the dish and then they think, man, what is that? What is that flavor? And it kind of haunts them and it, they, they really get a taste for that in their mouth. And 
you know, it's sort of a, a craveable. I like to like insert sort of craveable items when that's possible. So that that's a big flavor that I like to use. That sort of sticking that flavor in there is something I like to do. And I try to get cooks to kind of think about that when they get, you know, hey, what can we stick in here that's gonna really make, really nail it and make them crave that dish? That's something I think about. Last question, might yeah. be a tough one. All right, oh, so boy. let's imagine that we're 10 years in the future, maybe 15 years in the future, all right? Somebody comes up to you, they blank check. They say, Charleston, what's your dream restaurant? You can open it. Oh man. I'm curious if there's a specific area of the city that really speaks to you, and if there's a, a style of restaurant that you think maybe the city doesn't have yet that, that you would want to do. Ooh, that is a real loaded question. Let's see. I mean, just right off the bat, I am such a sucker for, I love those restaurants that do like one or two things really well. Um, I get kind of jealous. I'm sure that the people that are the chefs at those restaurants kind of wish they could do more than one of those two things, but I would love just a really small, awesome, like chicken wing, like chicken wing and fries spot. I'm, I'm such a sucker for chicken wings and some good beers, maybe a couple good wines, a couple good, uh, you know, rums or something like that. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I would love to have a, a little chicken wing spot or maybe like a something that's a little modular, something you could replicate in a couple different places. Just nice and easy chicken wings, good beer. That would be that would be that would be my dream. Bob's chicken wings. Yeah, that would be awesome. But they've already done Bob's burgers. <laughs> Bob, thanks so much for being here. Yeah, thanks for having appreciate me. I appreciate it. it. Absolutely. Uh, tell everyone listening when they're down in Charleston where they can find you at Edmonds. Yes. Um, we're open every day from 4:30 to you know whenever at 1081 Morrison Drive up in the, the neck area of Charleston. Um, we have our Edmonds Exchange next door. It's our little bottle shop. You can step in there and get a really awesome wine, really awesome beer. You can get all of our a bunch of our beers in a crowler, take home with you. Uh, we got a brewery at 1505 Morrison. So it's just, or sorry, 1505 King, just a little bit up the street. Get all our beers there. But uh, we're at the restaurant, 1081 Morrison every day, uh, Sunday for brunch. Cool. Thanks a lot, Bob. Yeah, you got it. Everyone, thanks Thanks for for listening. We've got a lot more content for you, several more hours today, so stick with us. Thank you to Le Creuset and the Julia Child Foundation for making Heritage Radio Network on tour at Charleston Wine and Food Possible. I'm Eli Sussman for Heritage Radio Network. HRN is a member-supported nonprofit based in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Listen to over 10,000 episodes of food radio podcasts and become a member at heritageradionetwork.org. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.